Hello and welcome to The Bitten Word. I'm Ashley. I'm Christine. And we are here today to talk to you about the book Dark Matter by Blake Crouch and to talk about the Spanish stew from that book. This is one of my favorite books. I I read it. Oh yeah. I read it a couple of years ago, maybe maybe 3 or 4 years ago, close to when it came out. And I loved it. And then last year I had the chance to reread it for one of my book clubs and I loved it oh. just as much. It's so good. I didn't know you reread it. Yeah, I did. It's like it's got everything that I want in a book. It's like sci-fi and it takes you to like all different kinds of situations. It's fast paced. It's got this big twist at the end that you're not really expecting. And the way it plays out is kind of insane. It's, it's a really fun book that I highly, highly, highly recommend. No, I agree. It, um, Ashley recommended it to me. What I read. Okay. I read it in 2019 and I remember specifically because one of the scenes in the book was scarily similar to, um, March 2020. Yeah. <laughs> <And so laughs> Things happening in like Italy. <laughs> yes. And it was like absolutely terrifying for me. So, but, um, yeah, but it was, it was very compelling. It was, it's a very, it's a page turner. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I am not going to give you spoilers on this book. We will talk a little bit, but the food scene happens more towards the beginning of the book where there are less spoilers. Uh, so we will talk a little bit about that, but I'm going to give you a synopsis without telling you the ending because I desperately want you to read this book. So a former up and coming research scientist named Jason Dessen is now happily married to the love of his life, Daniela, and has a son, Charlie. He teaches at a local college in Chicago and one night, after attending a celebration for a former colleague, and this is an interesting scene because this colleague is still in the research business, and you can see that Jason is a little bit jealous. Jealous, Yeah, a little envious, a little regretful that he didn't continue his research, but when he had his family, it was just too hard to keep going, and so he chose his family over his job. So he's walking home from the bar where this happened and he's kidnapped and taken to an abandoned warehouse. His abductor forces him to undress and injects him with something. And when he wakes up, he's in an advanced scientific facility that he's never seen before, where everyone seems to know him even though he doesn't know them. And over the course of events, over the next couple of days, he realizes that he's not in his own world. <laughs> in this world, he had a different life. He never got married. He invented science, big, <laughs> big word science here, <laughs> to open what was essentially a portal to the multiverse. And the rest of the book is devoted to his like world hopping to try to get back to his family in his world of origin. And it's really awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's super, super good. So this book, part of the reason why I loved it is because this love story 
And the theme of love and family is so central to the book. The whole reason that he is going on this adventure in the first place, like the whole reason it happens at all, and the whole reason he ends up doing this world hopping is to get back to this ideal thing that he had, this, this not perfect, you know, they had, they had regrets, they had, they had fights, they had all this stuff, but it was a life that was worth living with his wife and his son. And he wanted it back so desperately that he's will hop and go through all these crazy things to get back to them. Well, and the great thing about that is that that theme takes a bit of a dark turn leading to like one of the big twists in the book. It does. It totally does. Um, Other themes that are in this book are like one of them is choice because the way that this multiverse works and we'll get, we'll talk a little bit more about the theory behind this in a minute. But it's one of those situations where, like, every choice you make branches, right, off into a different world. And so he walks into some worlds that are radically different from the one that he left. And then he walks into some that are quite similar to the one that he left, just a little bit different. Those ones are fascinating because they really are just like, it's all the same. Except like the filigree on the fence outside my house is a little bit different, you know? So yeah, like, I drive a different car universe, but or, different. or Daniela and I got married, but then we got divorced or we got married, but we're not as happy as we are in the other world or, you know, just like there are so many different things. And so I love seeing the ones that are the same. And then I love seeing the ones that are totally different. Mm-hmm. So that, that idea of choice which also ends up playing into the book later too, because he figures out that he can kind of choose which world he wants to go into a little bit. And he, he has ways to be able to decide which one he's going to get. Also identity. I, I don't want to talk about that too much because I feel like it'll, it'll be spoilerish. But there are big themes of identity in this book. So even though it's like a fast-paced page turner, and there there are some points in this book where it's a little maddening in the writing because it's like one sentence, full blank space, one sentence, full blank space. You know, like it's yeah. like one sentence is a whole paragraph, and it's it like I don't know. It's kind of hard to read because it's it just choppy and goes really fast. But I think that kind of adds to the excitement, like the pace of the book. Um, But even though it is so fast paced, it is still dealing with really big themes, you know, things, things that we talk about. And I don't feel like they're on a shallow level either. I think you could talk about this in book club forever. Kind of has similar themes. If you've read the midnight library, it has sort of a similar like feel to that. Yeah, it does, except way more high stakes. Yeah. I feel like. No, it's like it's a lot scarier than <laughs> <Yeah>. my <laughs> Um okay. So because I don't want to spoil the book too 
too much. I do want to talk a little bit more about kind of like the science and the philosophy behind this book and the ideas that it presents. So we talked about how... What? I will do my best to keep up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't get it either. (laughs) Um, Okay. So first, let's talk about the multiverse thing. So he bases this assumption about there being a multiverse and the choices um, that might branch off on an idea called Schrodinger's cat. Schrodinger? 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 I don't know. It would be Schrodinger because it's it's German. It's technically Schrodinger. Oh, okay, good. So I said it right. Okay, Schrodinger's cat. So the theory or the hypothesis, the idea, right, is that if you had in a box a cat, a vial of poison, and an isotope that had a 50-50 chance of like what's that word? Devolving, disintegrating, <laughs> doing something, right? Doing what isotopes do. <laughs> Degrading? Degrading. There we go. That's the word I'm looking for. Okay. The, and you're not, you can't see it, right? So there's a 50-50 chance that the cat is alive or it's dead. The theory that Schrodinger proposed is that atoms, particles, Things are in superposition, meaning that there are, there's more than, yeah, a quantum state where there is more than one thing happening at the same time. The cat is both alive and dead until it is observed. The the observation of it is what makes it absolutely dead or absolutely alive. This breaks my brain a little bit. I <laughs> I do not wrap my head around that very well. And I don't know that very many people would. I don't either. But I think the theory comes from a place of like, there are particles that exist like this, where like scientists, it's like they behave in both states until the scientists yeah. are actually looking at them. And then it's like they pick one. So that's where this multiverse comes from. The way that he's able to get to this multiverse is by building this box that makes it impossible for any kind of observation to happen inside the box. And you have to, humans have to like inject themselves with something that turns off certain portions of their brain in order for them to technically not be observing the things that are happening in there too, so that it can remain in superposition while they like get to another branch of the multiverse. The interesting thing though about that is like, can a cat not observe? <laughs> yeah. Like just cause it's not human, does that mean that it's not observing things? Like, I don't know. <laughs> that is i mean right like the cat is just like a i think a a way to explain like yeah this aspect of quantum theory but that is kind of funny i i hadn't thought about that (laughs) (laughs) but yes i agree it's just there to explain um so i guess that kind of makes makes it just an easier way yeah for people who have broken brains for science um to kind of be able to see what he's talking about that Like, I guess it's a situation like, well, I don't know, because I can't see it, right? So 
But still, does that mean that the cat is not dead and not alive at the same time? Just because you're not looking at it, or is it actually is if a tree falls in the woods, does it make a sound, right? Like <laughs> just because there's nobody there to observe it, does that mean it doesn't make a sound? Well, I think it's like you have other quantifiable data that's that's telling you the cat is alive and also dead. So I think it would be what like data, like where are they getting this? Well, because it's not an actual cat, right? It's just like when you're looking at like like when you're studying atoms and like molecules and they're like you're having like measurable data that's showing you it's doing one thing but also doing a totally different thing but then when you're actually observing it it's only doing the one thing so it would be like if the, the box was meowing but it also smelled like a rotting corpse and then you opened it and the cat was alive and you're like why did you smell like a rotting corpse if it's alive <laughs> you know that kind of thing but then the next yeah. time you open the box the cat's dead like yeah i don't know that's weird this is why I'm not a scientist and why I make a podcast about food instead. Um, <laughs> I mean, I guess food has a science element, but like on a very basic level. <laughs> okay. Um, the other thing about this book that is interesting. Uh, so the title Dark Matter comes from actual dark matter which is another somewhat brain-breaking idea okay so the first time that this was posited was like in the 1930s uh by a guy named fritz zwicky and it yeah i know it's kind of a fun name fritz, fritz zwicky <laughs> but it was really controversial up until the 60s and 70s when measurements and things were actually taken that kind of proved that this dark matter must exist, even though it is still theoretical. No scientist has ever measured or actually seen dark matter. But I, the way that they figured out that this must be the case is because, so our universe expands, right? And scientists were like, okay, but with the amount of matter that we have in our universe, it has oh, the universe. Um, <laughs> in our universe, it must, it will lose momentum because it doesn't have enough matter to like keep it going forever. It must at some point, it must be slowing down its expansion. And at some point it's going to recollapse in on itself because it doesn't have enough matter to keep going. But then they finally had instruments enough and the technology and science enough to be able to like measure this. And they found out that the universe is not slowing down. It is actually exponentially increasing its expansion. And they were like, that's not possible based on the amount of matter that we have in the universe. There would have to be like there would have to be so much more matter in the universe to make this possible. There must be matter that we cannot see happening here, which once again, science makes no sense to me because I'm like, how, in what way does that mean that there has to be so much more matter and that we can't see that matter because the matter that we can see is not enough. Like where do those, where does that math work out? Where does that science come into play? I like, I don't know. <laughs> So I was going to say, like, my father-in-law was a theoretical ph physicist, and I could ask him about it, but I know the explanation would be so much more confusing. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> and 
I would not understand it. I would be somewhat curious to hear what he had to say about it, though. Like, well, I don't know. I'm thinking of this one time at Applebee's. One of this one time at Applebee's. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know why I remember that specifically, but my nephew asked some question about space and someone was like, why don't you ask Papa? He would know. And I, and I just watched the kid's eyes glaze over as he was explaining <laughs> it because, and I was sitting there like, I don't understand this explanation either. <laughs> I know physics is hard. It's, I don't, I've never understood it. It's like my mom used to like talk about math about how the numbers would like float away and she wouldn't be able to like hold on to the numbers and I'm like that happens to me now it happens with math and it happens with science where the concept I'm like okay I'm with you wait no it's floating away come back come back and then I'm like totally lost that's so funny that sounds exactly like the kind of thing she would say (laughs) I know um well, it just makes me think of when I was a kid, I would need help with my math homework and I would ask dad for help and he would do it like a totally different way than the teachers were doing it. And then he'd be like, well, if this, then blah, blah, blah. Right. And I was like, yeah, like he would always say, right. Like I, like I knew what he was talking about. And I, was like, I had no idea. <laughs> That's really funny. I just got to say, if there are any, like, real science people out there listening to our podcast and, like, everything we're saying is totally wrong, I apologize. (laughs) Yeah. And email us and tell us why we're wrong. Yeah. Or explain it to us in ways that you would explain it to a (laughs) (laughs) five-year-old. We are not qualified to talk about science, capital S, science. Um, But people are still working on this. I mean... People, they think that possibly up to 95% of our galaxy is invisible and doesn't interact with light. Wow. That's what dark matter is. It doesn't interact with light and it's not made of the same kind of matter that we like see, you know, like in our bed and our atoms and things like that. (laughs) And they think up to 95, 80 to 95%. I know. And think about this. We have the mass of 100 billion, billion stars in our galaxy. Galaxy, not universe. And that that is minuscule. That's like 5 to 20% of the mass that they theorize is in our universe. Yeah, when you start getting into like exponential numbers, when you're like, your number is so big, you have to have exponents on it. My yeah. brain is just like, no. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't <laughs> make sense. Not at all. Not like, I, I can't even imagine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so interest. Uh, they also say that like without this extra dark matter, without extra mass and matter that we can't see creating gravity like the behavior of stars and planets and galaxies wouldn't make sense that it's not possible for them to have existed or to have formed in the way that they did or to you know rotate the way that they do or whatever without there being extra mass exerting extra gravitational force which once again how did they figure this out how do they know that they're right i have no idea so uh, that's what I always wonder about science. How do they know that they are right? 
how do they know that it's impossible? Like, I guess that's true. I guess that's true. It's all theory until it's proven wrong. I was reading, um, (laughs) I was reading Magic Treehouse last night. (laughs) And um, they were in like ancient Macedonia. And who was it? Aristotle, I think, was there. And he was teaching about like, He's like teaching that the earth is the center of the solar system. And Annie's like, um, that's not true. The sun is the center of the solar system. And he was like, wow, like, that's so cool that you like are a girl and have the ability to like think about things, but you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And it was just so funny to me, like how confident he was. He's like, you're wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like you're wrong because you're a girl. <laughs> uh, I guess at least they're trying to be accurate in Magic Treehouse to the time period. <laughs> well, I was cracking up because at this point we've hit a lot of time periods where Annie has had to pretend she was a boy. Yeah. Or, like hasn't been allowed to do things because she was a girl. And at the beginning of this book, she's like, like they said something like that where they're like, oh, oh, because they're like, we need to introduce you to blah, blah, but I need to make sure he's willing to see you because you're a girl. And he's like, why can't girls do anything in history? <laughs> I had this whole thing about it, and I was like, I feel you, Annie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Okay, but as recently as February 1st of this current year, 2022, there are experiments like being devised to measure this dark matter. This is the first time that somebody has had an idea of how and where they might be able to measure it um and it requires like sending a probe or something way out into deep space and i have no idea how they're going to measure it but i was i was reading the article and i was like i still don't get it i don't understand (laughs) this but it is it is something that is like in the works right now they that people have finally kind of tried to they, they've thought of something that might actually work to be able to measure this or find a way to prove that it exists. So okay. very interesting. I know I, I'm very curious to see what happens there and if it will actually show up. So that all being said, guess what? You should read this book because there's a TV show in the works. Oh, there is. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I've, I've heard about it for a long time and it hasn't been like absolutely declared, but it has been optioned for a show, I think, from Apple TV. Here's the thing. Now is a good time to do this because right now multiverses are like the hot topic. The thing, right? Yeah. Exactly. Like, I'm pretty sure it really started with like Spider-Verse and then like, yeah. you know, we were kind of already moving that way with Marvel. And yeah. so it was like Spider-Verse and then like, you know, they have Marvel is obviously everything they have is building towards the multiverse. But then when I was in Spider-Man um, No Way Home, there was a preview for a movie that was like about the multiverse, but it was yeah. not like a Marvel movie. It was like just a lady like traveling through the multiverse. And I was yeah. like, people are like really capitalizing on the multiverse trend right now. Yeah. Yeah, they are. And I think this book was published in 2016, I think. So he was a little before, you know, that all started. So he was on top of the trend. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But yeah, definitely a good time to get into it. Really good book. Uh, he has another book called Recursion that's also really, really good and really interesting. I like Dark Matter a little bit better, but Recursion is is really interesting and really good. Um, he also read a few books, actually. Yeah, he wrote the Wayward Pines trilogy, which was turned into a TV show. I haven't read or seen either of those, but I know a lot of people really like it. And I know that it's twisty as well. Um, and his twists are actually pretty good. So yeah, no, this book, like, I mean, I feel like it's one of those books where it's like, there's, there's a twist at the beginning and you're like, what? And then there's a twist in the middle and you're like, oh my gosh. And then there's a twist at the end and you're like, holy crap, what's going on? I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) But they're like good twists. Usually I feel like a lot of times I can see the twist coming a mile away or it's so completely outlandish that you're like, ugh, that doesn't even work. Like, you know, like when the murderer, you're like, yeah, that, that just doesn't, that didn't make any sense. I didn't have any clues. They just pulled it out of nowhere, you know, but this, these are actually like really good twists. No, this one is like, especially like the one towards the end is great because it's like, it makes sense. And like, if I were the kind of person who like paid more attention to like plot details and stuff, I would, <laughs> you know, then I would have been like, oh my gosh, how did I not see that coming? You know? Yeah. But it, yeah, but it, for but sure. I mean, like, speaking of which, did you actually watch Murderville? Yes, I did. I watched the first three episodes. Okay, so I was going to say, when I was watching Murderville at the end, when they're guessing the murderer, they're like, because he said this, and because he did this, and because he had this. And I was like, I was not even looking for that stuff. I was like, yeah. I'm not even thinking about this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been trying, and I've been right twice and wrong once. So, Okay. So let's talk about the scene in the book where the food comes in. So we're going to set set up the scene a little bit. So Jason has already been kidnapped. He's already gone to this other world. He realizes that he's not in his world because he escapes the facility and he goes to his house, but it's not like his house. Like it, he owns it. It's still his. He has the keys, but it looks completely different. There's no, like, there's no family life apparent there. He has a painting by his wife, who was an artist and now teaches art classes uh, in his life of origin, I guess. And there's a painting in there with her name on it, but it doesn't have Desen as her last name. It's her maiden name. And so he goes to find her. And in this world, they aren't married. Um, they had a little fling. They kind of, you know, they know each other, but they aren't on, like, they don't talk all the time or anything. But he finds her and he tells her what's going on. And she actually believes him. And so he stays at her apartment for a little bit and he's sleeping. Um, And then he wakes up and he's talking about how he's sitting in bed, watching the daylight fade. Here's where the scene starts. Out in the kitchen, pots are banging, cabinets are opening and closing, and the scent of cooking meats drifts back down the hallway into the guest room with a smell that strikes me as suspiciously familiar. 
I climb out of bed, stable on my feet for the first time all day and head for the kitchen. Bach is playing, red wine is open, and Daniela stands at the island chopping an onion on the soapstone countertop in an apron and a pair of swimming goggles. <laughs> Smells amazing, I say. Would you mind stirring it? I walk over to the range and lift the lid off a deep pot. The steam rising into my face takes me home. How are you feeling? She asks. Like a different man. So better? Much. It's a traditional Spanish dish. A bean stew made with an assortment of native legumes and meats. Chorizo, pancetta, black sausage. Daniela cooks it once or twice a year, usually on my birthday, or when the snow flies on a weekend and we just feel like drinking wine and cooking together all day. I stir the stew, replace the lid. Daniela says, it's a bean stew from, it slips out before I think to stop myself. Your mother's recipe. Well, to be specific, her mother's mother. Daniela stops cutting. She looks back at me. Put me to work, I say. What else do you know about me? Look, from my perspective, we've been together 15 years, so I know almost everything. And then it goes for a second and it says, she finally says, if you want to help, I'm preparing toppings for the stew and I could tell you what those are, but you probably already know. Grated cheddar, cilantro, and sour cream. She gives the faintest smile and raises an eyebrow. Like I said, you already know. Okay, so this is like a weird version of comfort food. <laughs> it's like super comfort food because he's in this weird situation, right? He kind of doesn't, I don't know that he really believes what's going on at the moment. I think he still thinks that he's like having some sort of weird brain episode. Um, yeah that he needs to go to a hospital or something and he just doesn't it's breaking his brain he doesn't understand right and he's there with his wife and she's making him this dish that is like their special dish on his birthday um on weekends when they just want to be there together doing nothing you know and she's making it for him. And so it's like, oh, in this weird situation to have your wife make you the comfort food, the cold weather food, you know, like how, how special is that? Especially when it's not something very common in America, right? Something a little bit out of the ordinary and there she is making it. But at the same time, she's not your wife and you're in this weird situation and she's yeah. still making you this comfort food. Like, I don't know. It's like comfort, but it's also like weird you out. <laughs> I don't really know how to explain it. Well, it's like it it should be comforting. Yeah, and, and I think like for it him it is. To a degree, yeah. But it's also like, it's not like how it should be. Yeah. It's not as comforting as it would be if he was in his actual real life, his real situation. But I guess he's he's getting some sort of comfort here at the beginning when he's still kind of figuring out what is going on. He's also being comforted by her, though, and her presence. It's interesting that he just happened to come into a world where he did 
know her and that she is sympathetic to him and believes him in this situation because most people wouldn't, right? It's like they, they still have a connection here in this world. And that I think prompted her to make this stew that is so special to him, even though she doesn't really know that it's special to him, but somewhere in her, there is that, you know, that connection and that thought process. Something I thought was funny about this though, was that he says like, you know, it's something we make when we just want to spend the whole day cooking, you know? Yeah. And he says like, like it's special. She only makes it like twice a year. And I'm like, it's, like it takes like 20 minutes to make. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Well, that might also just have been the recipe that we used. Perhaps more traditional recipes would be something that like stewed all day. Maybe. Um, Maybe especially if you use dried beans instead of. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. Cause we just use canned beans, which makes it a whole lot easier, but traditional recipes do use dried if you stoke them in the morning and then you let them cook for a long time and then you cook the stew, then maybe it's kind of an all day process. Okay. So let's talk about the food since we already kind of started. So this dish is actually called Fabada Asturias. Sorry for all you Spanish people because I don't speak Spanish. It's called Fabada, which just means like bean stew. Yeah, and then Asturias, because it originated in Asturias, which is the northern region of Spain. It was popularized in the 19th century. Uh, First mention of it is like in 1884, and it's now one of the country's most famous dishes. Like, it's all over Spain. So once again, this dish was one that was a staple for the poor and had many local variants, and it just increased in popularity as it, you know, went across the country and um, had those local variants pop up. And so people started noticing it and started eating it. And now it is a staple and a comfort food for, you know, everyone, the whole country. Traditionally, the beans that are used in this stew are called de la granja beans. Sorry for my pronunciation which are really large and white butter beans. Um, You can see pictures if you look up Fabada Asturias of these beans. They are huge. And I think that I've had them before in a different preparation. They have these beans at Central Market, which I am really missing, in like the olive bar that are marinated. And they're these- Not the beans. Yeah, I'm well, I'm missing both because I really like the beans too, but Central Market in particular. Um, so they're marinated and they are just they are so buttery, like their texture is so so good. So if those are the beans or are similar to the beans they use in this stew, really good. Maybe that's why they're called butter beans. That yeah, actually, probably that is because their texture is just so smooth. Um, So some people have posited that this dish is really similar to French cassoulet. And so it may be like a Spanish version that migrated down from France of that. Okay, so my favorite thing about this, though, is that when people are making this the traditional way, there is a technique used called asustar las fabas 
or frighten the beans. <laughs> <That's> amazing. <laughs> I know. So what it is, is it's like, I think in English, we usually use the word shock. Like if you're going to oh, okay. um, blanch vegetables, right? So you're going to throw them in hot water and they're only going to be in there for like a couple of minutes. And then you're going to take them out and shock them with cold water. Yeah. But here you're frightening the beans instead of shocking the asparagus. Um, so what is, they said is that when the beans or when the stew starts to boil, you're supposed to pour like a glass of cold water into the beans to stop the boiling, um, but to still keep it warm because you don't want the beans to split. And the beans will split if they are boiled into oblivion. So you're trying to keep it, you know, warm enough so that they're cooking, but not so hot and like bubbly that they're going to split on you. Okay, interesting. So we frighten the beans in order to do that. See, now that does sound a little bit more like an all day kind of thing. If you're oh having God. to sit and watch the pot long enough to be like, oh, it's simmering too high and pour in a glass of water multiple times, you know, then that that does sound like something that you would do on a Sunday, you know, come home from church and be like, we're just going to sit here and cook all day. <laughs> yeah, especially if they're like those really big beans. Like yeah, they, I'm sure they take forever to cook. Yeah, I'm sure they do. All right. And now it is time to give you our ratings for this food. So, Christine, how many baguettes are we awarding for time? Okay, so for time, we are giving trois baguettes. Um, because this Woo-hoo. is really fast. I mean, like we talked about it a little bit. If you're not doing like a really traditional preparation where you're cooking dried beans all day, this really comes together in like 15 minutes. Yeah. I think it took me like I browned my meats ahead of time and then did it. And then with its cooking time of like 20 minutes or something like that, it it took me probably a half an hour total to do this with very little hands-on time. Like 20 minutes of that, I was walking around my house doing other stuff while it was sitting on the stove simmering, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, for ease, we are also awarding trois baguettes. Once again, really easy. It's kind of a like a one pot deal. Like yeah. I browned my sausages in the same pot that I put the rest of the stuff into. It just simmered. It it really was very few dishes. Um, it's easy enough to find the ingredients. It does call for andouille sausage and chorizo, uh, as well as pancetta. But we both just used bacon instead of pancetta. Uh, which obviously is very easy to find. And I was able to find the chorizo and the andouille just in the little sausage mm-hmm. section of my commissary on base here. Yeah, and I got all my stuff at Walmart. My Walmart typically does sell pancetta, but we didn't. they didn't have it today or whenever I bought ingredients. And so I just used bacon. If you are not aware, um, pancetta is essentially bacon that has not been smoked. It's usually cut really thin but it's the same cut of meat and they are both cured meats. And so they're very similar in application. Yeah. So bacon is a good substitute if you don't want to spend the money or if you have leftover bacon like I did from something else. Uh, So yeah, really easy to make. Okay. And Christine, what do we award for taste? Taste, it gets de baguette. So the reason 
it lost a baguette here is because it's it's got really good flavor i think that yeah. the meats give it like a really like good deep spicy flavor the biggest problem is that it's just kind of like one note like there's there's not a lot to break it up yeah my husband was saying he wished there was another kind of like carb in there just to give it a little like bit something different ashley was saying she wished there was like more vegetables to kind of like, like brighten tomatoes it up or you know something in there to kind of help it along yeah um so it is a very good tasting dish it just it's like it needs something else to really like round it out and make it like spectacular yeah or like i like it has the toppings on it right yeah. even even though it had those i still felt like it needed something else like i needed bread on the side that i could dip into it or to change my taste buds to get a little change yeah or yeah if i did have some sort of vegetable i'm trying to think what would go well in there i'm like okra like beans. <laughs> yeah or okra green beans well, okra yeah would be a good one actually because i was thinking particularly with the addition of the andouille that this was fairly reminiscent of gumbo yeah yeah it is actually kind of reminiscent of gumbo just like more beanie yeah, i think which makes sense though because you know gumbo is a creole dish and creole does take a lot of inspiration from spanish cooking yeah exactly um so yeah tastes good easy to make not a lot of time i would recommend making it but maybe play with it a little bit you know yeah. maybe throw some okra in there some tomatoes or you might even be able to do some like big leafy like sturdy leafy greens like bok choy oh or yeah kale or something yeah absolutely that would actually taste really good or even if you wanted to spinach i mean that won't hold up as much texture wise but i think it would still taste good it'll give it like a crunch though because yeah this this soup i feel like has kind of that same problem that like chili has where yes. like, it tastes good but it's just very like meaty and dark and like yeah and when you're adding toppings like cheese and sour cream it's like just making it like fattier and creamier when yeah. you add something like bright and crunchy to like yes you know, bring it in. i totally agree one of my favorite things to do with chili is when Trader Joe's has their pumpkin spiced pumpkin seeds come out is to put those on top of chili because they add a little bit of sweetness and crunch and break up the texture and it's really good. Yeah. I usually end up eating my leftover chili on hot dogs. <laughs> oh yeah. That helps too, actually. Just different textures and flavors to get in there and help your palate out. So. Oh, I was going to say, usually when you make soups and stews like this, it makes a ton like it makes yeah so much and then you're eating it forever this was actually kind of nice because it didn't make that much like it's enough yeah. to feed a family yeah I, I don't think you would have a ton left over after that yeah we had some leftovers but not so much that it was like this huge deal i think i think my husband took the rest of it for lunch today to yeah. work like i i there it was like one maybe one and a half meals worth like not not a ton and by meal, I mean for one person, not for our whole family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that it was, we really enjoyed this and we're not going to be able to do our special thing yet. And I got to tell you, I don't think it's going to happen next week either. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to want to stick around because next week we are doing something crazy. But first, 
If you would like to talk to us about Dark Matter, the book, or Dark Matter, the science, or about this Spanish stew, you can contact us on Instagram at the Bitten Word Podcast. You can talk to us on Twitter at the Bitten Pod. You can even email us at the Bitten Word Podcast at gmail.com. Also, please make sure to check out our new website. Uh, the bitten word podcast.weebly.com that is absolutely most definitely being updated <laughs> you know what it's it's pretty awesome i would go check it out <laughs> um hey you know what it's up and it's functioning and we don't need yes. it to be perfect we just need it to be going right so we're we're getting there But yeah, check it out. We'll have the link to the recipe and pictures and you will have all of them eventually on there. There are quite a few of our episodes on there so far and eventually all of them will be uploaded up there. Everything's on there except for this season. Oh, okay, great. So there you go. You will be able to like find things more easily. The pictures will look nicer. It's just, it's a really cool thing. So see us there on the website and next week join us you're gonna want to see this one hear it see it listen to it i am (laughs) okay so we are doing the movie from uh weird al yankovic uhf and we're gonna be eating the twinkie wiener sandwich from that movie and i am I'm really not looking forward to this, so it's probably going to be entertaining. Uh, this one was suggested by the people over at the Beard Owl podcast. Um, we'll talk about them again next week, but their entire podcast is just about Weird Owl and how much they love Weird Owl, so it's not surprising at all that they suggested uh, the Twinkie Meter sandwich. I know that they tried it, though, too. and they survived. Oh, they did! So, yeah. Okay, well, that's good that they survived. I would really like to talk to them about their experience with this Twinkie Meter sandwich. <laughs> Ah, okay, so look forward to that. And until then, happy reading and bon appetit.